You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We are your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer. And Dr. Andrea Love. And today, we are coming to you with a hygiene roundup. So we get so many questions asking about just day-to-day hygiene issues, what we should and shouldn't be doing. So we are going to dig into the science or lack thereof, into a bunch of hygiene-related topics. So just really briefly, and Andrea, I am quite sure you have a lot to say about this, you know, from an infectious disease perspective, but just thinking back to the different eras of epidemiology and how our understanding of germ theory and how, you know, how we get sick and what makes us sick and how the implementation of certain public health laws and policies like sanitation and things like that, how we saw a marked improvement in public health. We know, obviously, that hygiene is super important. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. And we know that there are, you know, as our understanding of the biological world has evolved, the theories or the beliefs that kind of underpin certain hygiene practices or certain practices that people thought were related to hygiene and in reality were not, that has certainly evolved over several centuries. Well, and also, and I know we're going to get into this, I think there are a lot of holdovers, right? So like the way that things were done and they were done a certain way for a particular reason, we're still doing certain things. And I know I'm speaking vaguely right now, but we'll get into it um, that maybe aren't necessary anymore based on um, improvements and regulation and stuff like that. And it's funny because, you know, even if you look at certain like religious traditions or cultural traditions, a lot of those were based on real issues related to hygiene or lack of hygiene practices like cross-contamination of food products and why we bury our dishes and things like that, which, you know, thankfully most people aren't doing anymore, but why meat products and and dairy products were supposed to be separated and all of that. that. And that really was because of hygiene issues or why many cultures don't eat pork because there's a parasite that you know, could be found in in pig meat. And, you know, again, a lot of those issues don't exist anymore, but a lot of those cultural things still persist. All right. So I know we have a long list of things we want to get through. Do you want to kick things off with bed sheets? Sure. Why not? So how often do you clean your bed sheets? I mean, not as often as I should, (laughs) but I fully acknowledge that. And I have a very busy schedule, but I do share the bed with seven cats and another human. So there are a lot of factors in play there. Same. Much to my husband's chagrin, I have all four dogs in bed and usually the two kids and yeah, throw the cats in there too. Practically, the recommendation is you should be changing your sheets every every two weeks. Some people, particularly dermatologists or microbiologists, say that you might even want to do it more frequently, as frequently as one week. And there's a few reasons for that, right? So the first is you are shedding 
your skin cells all the time. And it's really interesting because if you actually try to look up literature on like how many skin cells you shed a day. So you have multiple layers of your skin, right? You have um, on the very top, you have these cells called keratinocytes and um, they essentially turn over very quickly, which is why if you get like a paper cut, it actually heals pretty fast. And it's because you have this very rapid turnover of these keratinocytes. And so your skin cells are kind of always cycling. And as a result, they're always dying and falling off your body. And so you shed on average somewhere between a million to 5 billion skin cells a day. And and probably the, the real estimate is about 500 million skin cells a day. That's a lot. And most of those are going to end up in the places you spend the most time. So if you think that you sleep I don't know, eight hours a night in a good, in a good world, that's a third of your day. So at least a third of your skin cells are going to end up in your bed. Um, a lot of them are going to end up in your clothing because you're wearing clothing and things that rub on your skin are going to increase the frequency with which you shed those skin cells. And so, you know, you're shedding those in your, in your bed. That's fine, right? They're dead. They're just, you know, skin flakes, but those are very delicious for dust mites. And dust mites are harmless to kind of humans broadly. They don't bite you or feed on you. They're not like bed bugs or things like that, but they eat the skin cells that are left in your environment. It could be anywhere. They're they're found all over the world. And so dust mites eat those. So the more skin cells, the more food the dust mites have, the more the dust mites reproduce, the more dust mites you have. And dust mites are the biggest cause for asthma in humans. So it's estimated that dust mites exacerbate or lead to the development of asthma in about 60 to 90% of, of asthmatics. And so certainly we want to do our best to reduce the population of dust mites. So if you clean your sheets more often, you can reduce how much skin cells there are, how much dust mites there are. And there are also other factors, right? So you're talking about dust mites and skin cells and that stuff, but our own personal hygiene is also at play. So if we're not showering so much, you know, we know that we're bringing in bacteria. So I know like if I'm exhausted after a day of work, like at the very least if I've been outside, especially like in flip-flops or something, I'm going to wash my feet. I'm not going to take my dirty feet into my bed. You know, that's something that I'm going to do. The other thing is some people sleep in the buff, right? They, they sleep nude. And so you have to think about, you know, your other bits that, that your, that your sheets are getting exposed to fecal matter. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. I was gonna, I was, I was going to yeah. say, I didn't, you didn't want to say, it. yeah, no, I mean, I mean, little microscopic bits of feces can get in your sheets and those feces have bacteria in them. And, you know, generally they live in your gut, which is where they're supposed to be. But, you know, if you're laying around naked and you're on your sheets and things are moving, it's very rare, but you could get those bacteria in places you don't want them on your body. You know, you have other things, right? Uh, uh, Do you sweat, you know, overnight because of who, whatever, because it's hot out, because you have, you're going through menopause, because you're taking medication that make you sweat. Some people drool when they're sleeping more than others. You've got oil from your skin, and you have, of course, bacteria that live on your skin, and those are all accumulating on your sheets as well. By the way, I'm just chuckling, and I'm sorry, I think we're moving probably to the next topic because we have so much to cover, but you know for sure that there are people listening to this who are like, you have one camp where people are like, oh my goodness, like I wash at least once a week. She's 
so filthy. And then you have like, I have not I washed never. my sheets in six months. It's been decades, yeah. <laughs> Those people who are like, I'd sooner throw out my sheets and buy new ones than right. wash them. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, the range is going to vary person to person, right? Some people um, maybe have oilier skin than others. Maybe um, you work from home, so you're not going outside and being exposed to, you know, dirt and particulate matter and bacteria in the environment. And so like, again, it's not a a set rule. And it's not saying that like, if you don't change your sheets every two weeks that you're going to get sick. It's just these things are things to consider for hygiene. So like a lot of things you can ask yourself, are you wearing pajamas or are you going naked? If you wear pajamas that can trap some skin cells. So maybe you don't have to wash your sheets as often. Do you shower before bed? Or at the very least, do you wash your feet and your hands and your face before bed? That of course can remove some skin cells and, and limit the food for those dust mites. Do you have other things sleeping with you? Animals, other humans, things like that. If you have pets sleeping in your bed, they're bringing all their stuff with them, all their bacteria, all their dander, all their little clods of litter stuck between their paw pads. So again, those are other considerations you might want to change them more often. The other thing that's interesting is if you move around, like if you're a a rough sleeper, you're going to shed more skin cells than someone who sleeps very soundly. Now, of course, if you have skin issues, so if you have things like eczema or psoriasis or acne, you may want to change things more often as well. And then the other thing I will say before we move on is if you um, recently were sick from an infectious disease, you should change your bedding as soon as you're recovered because it's unlikely that you can reinfect yourself, but you know, it's just not worth the risk. No. And usually when I'm sick and I'm like snotty and coughing, you know, I don't, but also, um, just pillowcases in particular, I just want to call those out. So like, that's something that I do wash more frequently, especially because I sweat, I'm a head sweater, just fun fact about me. So that's something that I wash. But in terms of the pillows themselves, didn't we pull the actual Yeah, I think they say like every six months for like thick blankets, like throw blankets or pillows. I'll be honest when I do strip the bed and change the sheets. I just do every, like, I don't want, I don't always wash the pillows, but I wash the comforters, the blankets, the sheets, because again, I'm very lazy. So if I'm taking it all off the bed, it's all going in the washing machine and then it's all going back on the bed. And I do have several sets. And so, you know, if you don't want to have to wash as often, you can have a couple of sets and you can just kind of rotate. All right. Now we have to talk about towels because you know that if you don't wash your towels after a while and they if they remain wet and they're not drying fully in between uses or if you're not cleaning them, and obviously we're going to talk about that, they get that musty Mildew. smell, yeah. mildewy smell that I hate so much. And what I, what I end up doing, cause my kids, they'll shower and they'll crumple up their towels and just like shove them underneath the bed when I'm like, clean up your room. And then I'll find them and I'll, and I'll usually have to do a wash with like vinegar just to get the smell out, that mildewy smell. And the mildew is fungus essentially. So it's mold, right? So mold is just a catch all for you know, hundreds of different species of fungi and, and mold, um, are the visible spores that form and, um, that can be anywhere, right? It's typically places that are humid. So it could be clothing. It could be a garment. It could be like a towel. Sometimes in certain buildings, you can find mold growing in moist places, like in the corner of your garage, perhaps, or things like that. And you you might see these black patches, So basically these are just, um, you know, fungal spores that start to grow to the number that they're now visible. Now, again, 
most molds, whether they're on a towel or in your house or on a cheese or whatever, are harmless, but they can smell not great. You don't necessarily want to be wiping your clean body with mold spores. And for some people, those spores, when they get in the air, they can irritate um, your respiratory tract and, and exacerbate some respiratory conditions. So that's kind of the mildew portion. And again, you know, these these mold spores are microscopic. They're always around everywhere in every environment. But if they find this nice, cozy, moist place, they're going to start to grow. So the recommendation, and I know we pulled this, we'll pull the link in our show notes, is that for towels in your home, you should wash them once a week, right? And you, as you said now multiple times, you know, we need, you need to make sure that they're dried thoroughly. Otherwise you're going to have all these issues. But if you're going to some place like a public place, like the gym or something, or if you're throwing it in a gym bag with like gym shoes or something like that, that's a different story. And I don't know anything about that, Andrew. You'll have to talk about what it's like to go to the gym and, and actually work out. But that's a different story. And that requires daily washing. Yeah. So, so like if you're talking about your shower towels, like your body towels, if you right. have those on a rack afterwards, you're using them to towel off after your shower, they're fully dry by the time you use them again, those can go less frequently because again, you're, you should be using them when you're fully clean. As far as like hand towels go in the house or like kitchen towels, I would probably say, you know, those could be more frequently, maybe a hand towel in the bathroom after you wash your hands weekly. I think a kitchen towel where you may be handling other things, you might want to do that more frequently. But again, yeah, things that you're using after you're sweaty and or dirty, those should be washed every time you use them essentially. So like I have a bag that I throw in my car. It's got my running shoes. It's got my socks, my sports bras, all my stuff. And I always have a towel in there and that towel gets used, you know, after I get out for my run and I'm trying to dry off and change into like non-drenched clothes before I drive home. Um, that doesn't smell great after. Like I am a very sweaty person when I run and, um, and it smells. And so, yeah, that gets washed every time I get home after I've used it. Right. That's a different story. And again, I have absolutely nothing to add uh, to that. But, but again, you know, and, and I think a lot of people don't think about, you know, some of these molds, you know, fungus, fungus includes other things that can cause human skin issues like athlete's foot is caused by a fungus, jock itch is caused by a fungus, ringworm is also caused by a fungus. And, um, you know, as someone who did judo and worked out on wrestling mats, like these things are not unfamiliar. So you want to reduce the likelihood of spreading those sorts of things around because yes, they're treatable, but they're not the most pleasant. And of course, same thing holds true if you have skin issues, just like with the sheets, you might need to be taking extra care with your towels. Right. For all the things that we talk about, you know, there can always be exceptions. And if you're particularly sensitive to things or anything like that, then, you know, you might need to wash more frequently. So toothbrushes. I am so curious to hear, Andrea, how often you actually change yours out because I will use mine until they're like... I don't know, like down to the bristles, like they're all bent out of shape. And I don't really change them so oh frequently. Gosh. What do you change them so frequently? I try to adhere to the American Dental Association recommendations, which all is right. every every three to four months. <laughs> oh, now God. the reason I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why. Tell so us. the reason we brush our teeth is to get plaque off our teeth, right? So plaque is formed when we eat food and we digest or, or the food bits mix with the saliva in our mouth. And there are enzymes in our saliva that help start the digestion process of all these macromolecules. 
And then the saliva and the food bits mix with the bacteria that live in our mouths because we have a microbiome in our mouth. It's called the oral microbiome. And there's 300 million different species of bacteria in your mouth. And they're, you know, generally supposed to be there. But what happens when you eat food is that now that saliva food kind of paste mixes with the bacteria and the bacteria are like, hey, it's snack time for us. And they start to eat the residual food particles that you can't maybe see or haven't, you know, that hasn't gotten into your stomach. And as they metabolize those food particles, they produce byproducts, which include acids, and they start to grow too. So now you have these bacteria growing on your teeth with the food bits, and you're making this plaque. And the plaque sometimes makes your your teeth feel like fuzzy, I think is the word that we use. Um, and, furry? and fuzzy? yeah, furry, like furry, furry, fuzzy, right? something like that. So plaque is like sticky and it's kind of whitish and it's got bacteria and it's got some leftover food particles and it's got saliva. And so you want to brush your teeth so that you remove this plaque because you're removing the excess food particles and you're removing, you know, some of these excess bacteria because these bacteria are reproducing as they're eating those little food bits in your saliva. And you're also removing the acids that they form as a byproduct. So if you're not brushing your teeth regularly enough, those acids can actually start to deteriorate the outer layer of your teeth, and that can lead to tooth decay and and, and wearing down of your tooth enamel. That's another reason why you should be using fluoridated toothpaste because that actually helps um, because you're never going to get rid of the bacteria in your mouth. They, they live there. That's their home. But we want to reduce how much they're reproducing. So if you don't wash or don't brush your teeth and you don't brush the plaque off, um, it will harden and it will become tartar. And tartar is that like hard, visible, like sometimes it's yellowish, sometimes it's whitish. But you can't brush that off with a toothbrush. You have to go to a dentist and get it scaled with that metal picky mm-hmm. thing, right? And so brushing your teeth removes the plaque before it becomes tartar. Now, if you don't do that, you can it can lead to gingivitis, which is gum inflammation. But then that can progress to periodontitis or periodontal disease, which is gum disease, which actually can lead to erosion of your bone in your jaw. And it can lead to, um, you know, major tooth issues, tooth loss, you know, all sorts of stuff. And there's this one species of bacteria called Porphyromonas gingivalis, and it is the, the biggest culprit for periodontal disease. And so that's why we want to brush. Now, if you're using a toothbrush that is beat up and broken down and the bristles aren't sharp anymore and it's all bent out of shape, it's not going to be as efficient at getting rid of that plaque and those bacteria. So that's the first reason why we want to replace it pretty often. Well, damn, Andrea. No, I I don't replace mine every three to four months. It's more like six to eight. Um, I think that used to be the old recommendation because, you know, you go to the dentist twice a year and they gave you a toothbrush each time. But yeah, I mean, if, if you brush very vigorously, some people do brush harder than others and you're noticing that it's wearing, replace it when the bristles start to wear. The other thing that you want to think about is that aside from being less effective, it can also like cut into your gum and that can yes. introduce bacteria into, into, you know, a wound that you don't want mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. And can we just make a little side note? This is not, there's a lot we want to say about oral health and oral hygiene. We're just yes. trying that to That is a future episode. It's yes. a future episode and, and the implications of having like, you know, chronic dental infections and, you know, what that means for the body and this and that. We're just talking specifically about how frequently you should change your, your toothbrush. Just yes. to to make that crystal clear. So it should be three to four months. You want to obviously not share your toothbrush Mm. because, you know, 
even if you share a household with people, you still will have slightly different microbiomes. You don't necessarily need to or want to be sharing that. You also want to rinse it every single time so there's no visible toothpaste or things on it. And you want to make sure that you store it in a way that it's going to dry. So like, I kind of hate those travel caps because it traps the water Same. in and it's just like, it's moist the whole it's time. A ground, it's a breeding right? ground. It's a breeding ground. The other thing, and you could tell me if maybe I'm, I'm this is overkill, but I never store my toothbrushes anywhere near my toilet. I keep them as far away. Like I'm thinking if I'm flushing a toilet, I'm just picturing things. Great. Aerosolized. Yeah. Great <laughs> point. So, so, you know, when you flush the toilet, you can fling other non-mouth bacteria like fecal coliform bacteria up in the air. And that could get on your toothbrush. There's not a ton of evidence that that's going to make you sick, but certainly like the thought can be a little off-putting. So like, yeah, you can put it in like, a, you know, a, a container or like if you have a little cabinet, you can tuck it in the cabinet. Um, but the goal is you want it to be upright. You want it to dry. You don't need to sanitize your toothbrush, but if you feel the need to um, use either 3% hydrogen peroxide or Listerine mouthwash, soak the brush in it. You don't want to heat it in any way because that can damage the bristles and again, defeat the purpose of having a toothbrush. You can use either a, like a handheld, like a mechanical, or you can use a motorized toothbrush, both of those. Are, are perfectly effective. Andrea, I knew someone in college, um, and I'll share who after we are not recording, <laughs> sorry, who would store um, her toothbrush in water. And no. that's just, oh my gosh, do not do this. Please I do not do this. I can't wait to hear who it is. Yes. Oh gosh, I'm totally, oh goodness, putting this person on blast, but I won't say it publicly. But anyway, I just, the, I, I'm, ho- I don't, I'm sure she doesn't do it anymore, um, but if that's but yeah. not a good idea. Okay. Yeah. All right. Next time. Oh, Andrea, I know you have a lot to say about this. I do. The kitchen sponge. And oh man, can everyone just smell right now? Do we all know that (laughs) smell of a crusty old sponge? Yeah. All right. Talk to us. Let's get into it. I feel like kitchen sponges should be eliminated from the planet. (laughs) They are a microbiological nightmare. We'll just say that. I, um, I have a couple sponges in the kitchen. I don't use them unless... It is to get some food bits off before they then go into the dishwasher for a hot cycle. I do not use them for cleaning surfaces. I do not use them for cleaning things that are then going to immediately be used for food. And I will tell you why. Because they are the perfect habitat for bacteria. They are porous. They are moist. They have all these different layers in them. So all these different scaffolds. Think of an apartment building for bacteria. Nooks Um, and crannies. Nooks and crannies. They hold food scraps because what are you using to, you know, what are you using with your sponge? You're cleaning off your plates, right? So there's food for the bacteria. It's an apartment building for the bacteria. It's got the climate for the bacteria. A sponge, a kitchen sponge can house 54 billion bacteria per cubic centimeter. So that's a centimeter by a centimeter by a centimeter. 54 billion with a B. Kitchen environments have more bacteria than bathrooms, and the majority of those bacteria are on the sponge. So yeah, I don't use sponges. Can I ask you a question? Please. So, well, first let me just say, I also don't like sponges. I do have a sponge, but I don't use it frequently. Instead I use like, um, I think they're called Swedish towels. They're very absorbent or like the microfiber ones. And then I'll very, very frequently just throw them in the wash and, you know, so that they're clean. But I know a lot of people um, will microwave 
They're yes. sponge. So you can microwave them or boil them or okay. bleach them, but it does not it's not consistent sponge to sponge because every sponge is made slightly different and it doesn't eliminate all the bacteria. So it's really variable. It, it's going to be better than a not sanitized sponge, but it's not better than not using a sponge, basically. Got it. So, you know, just kind of some of the data. If you look at, there have actually been a decent number of studies looking at sponges and they actually assess the, the bacteria levels in sponges before use and then throughout use. And they weren't able to really detect any measurable levels of bacteria on kitchen sponge, like new kitchen sponges, even though they're technically not sanitized when you buy them, but they're very dry and they're not hospitable. There's not food on them for bacteria. So just not a great environment until they get wet and there's food there. Mm. So, um, you know, several studies have investigated this. There's hundreds of different species on sponges. Most are harmless, like the vast majority of the world's bacteria. But, you know, anything that you pick up in the ba- in the kitchen that, that can be pathogenic, including things in, in raw food products or, you know, that are sitting in the sink and kind of fermenting. So, you know, species that can cause illness to humans like E. coli species and enterococcus and enterobacteria and campylobacteria and salmonella and pseudomonas. So, you know, generally, yes, the vast majority of these 300 plus species that are found in kitchen sponges aren't going to be harmful, but it's, you know, not worth the risk. Right. And you're not getting anything clean because you're just rubbing bacteria on things. Exactly. So really the recommendation would be to either replace your sponges if that's an option for you, you know, pretty frequently to use like washcloths or something like that. I, I had something, um, they're actually, they're basically just rags, but you can um, wrap them on what looks like a regular paper towel holder. I think they're called like forever paper towels. No, this is not sponsored. That's a great way. You know, you could just throw yeah. them in the wash. And also brushes are, because they have fewer nooks and crannies, they're less absorbent, they harbor fewer pathogens than sponges. Much fewer, yeah. So if we're talking about like cleaning dishes or pots and pans, go with a brush over a sponge because there's much lower bacteria levels in these brushes. The the brushes are really not as hospitable. They don't trap moisture. They dry out fully. And as a result, the bacteria die more quickly if they if they get trapped on a brush. And if you're talking about surface cleaning, use rags or or and, and cleaners that will sanitize surfaces and, and wash those rags very frequently. Yes, you can also use paper towels. I will say we do use paper towels for certain surfaces, particularly because we have seven cats and um, things are not the cleanest. And um, yes, they're not as environmentally friendly, but of course, you know, you're trying to balance safety and and all of the other factors. Exactly. Um, But yeah, we could, um, we could just extinct sponges that would not <laughs> not the ones that live in the ocean i love those sponges just the ones in the kitchen we'll get rid of those now we're the anti-sponge scientists all right this next topic really grosses me out and it's something that i will say i do kind of obsess over water bottles and specifically ooh, there's a mosquito reusable water bottles and i get grossed out in between uses it's like sometimes there's a film that develops do you oh, see this yes. mosquito that film really grosses me out. And I feel like people assume that, oh, you could use the water bottle. It's just water. Just empty it out and then refill it. This is not good. (laughs) Yeah. So just like with your toothbrushes, whatever you put your mouth on, I don't care if you're just drinking water out of it. You're putting your mouth on your water bottle um, that's got your saliva, that's got your skin, your lip bacteria, your oral bacteria. Backwash. 
Yeah, even if you don't think you're backwashing, you're still backwashing. So, and oh my God, kids, my children's water bottles, just watching them gulp and then it like go, just and leaving like the little particles just like swooshing back into the bottle. I'm just like fantasizing about disinfecting it. I'm sorry, go on, Andrea. <laughs> no, it's a great point. And you know what? I'm, I'm honestly, um, I'm very bad about this. I do. I have a double walled insulated and I carry it around with me all the time and I, I will dump the water and I will refill it if I don't finish it. And um, I do wash it every now and then. But yes, you should be washing it much more frequently than you are. I can guarantee everyone listening is not washing it frequently enough. Um, because, because even though it's just water in there... Um, you get your saliva and your saliva has some plaque in it and your, your plaque has some bacteria and there's some microscopic food particles. So, you know, maybe what you put in there is water, but, but there's other things that get in there too. Well, and the other thing, I feel like people often focus on the bottle itself, but then neglect the the lip of the yes. bottle. Or that's the exactly cup. my point. Yes. And that's often, like, you know, that's where... That's you where you're know. putting your face on. Yeah. Right. And, and it's said. not, and it's right. not just... <laughs> I didn't say mouth. Well, it's not, it's not just bacteria too with mildew and things like that. And that's like something I noticed. So I, um, when I run, you know, when I do my long runs, I wear a a running vest and that has a a bladder, you know, a camelback bladder or whatever, you know, Nathan bladder. And that has your little tubing, right? And the tubing is like the bane of my existence because it's impossible to clean out thoroughly. And like the little mouth bit, like, you know, you're always like, paranoid, it's going to get mold and mildew. And then once it gets in there, you can't clean it out. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not just, and that only ever has water in it too. So again, it's, it's bacteria from your mouth, but it's also mildew that's growing as a result of trapped moisture in some of the little cracks and crannies of the water bottle, like the crease around, you know, the, the top of the bottle and and so on. So there was a small study and I couldn't track down, honestly, who actually authored it. I'm pretty sure it was sponsored by a water filtration company. I really, I'm not in entirely sure. Um, So I would take it with a grain of salt. But I know that the findings from that study were picked up by the media and the headline that said water bottles are revealed to be dirtier than a toilet seat went viral. That feels a little bit of like a bit of an exaggeration. I did track down a few other studies, small studies that uh, from independent labs where they tested like 12 water bottles and they did find an alarming number of viable bacteria cells, more than 300,000 colony forming units per square centimeters. Yeah. I mean, it's, so yes, there's a lot of bacteria in your mouth, right? What, what did I say? 300 different species and you know, you're, spewing them out all over the place. But I think, again, in addition to the the number of bacteria, you also want to talk about the species of bacteria, right? So like the vast majority of bacteria are not harmful to people. So, you know, you want to look at the numbers and the types, right? So maybe there's a total number that's more than what's on a toilet seat because right. people are people are pretty good about cleaning their toilet seat because they think of it as a dirty place. But people don't think about their water bottle being a dirty place, just like most people are not sanitizing their phone as often as they should. And that's probably even dirtier than your water bottle and your, maybe not your sponge, but it's pretty dirty. But again, like certain bacteria live in certain environments. So the bacteria you're going to find in a toilet seat are going to be fecal bacteria, like fecal coliform, whereas the bacteria that you're going to find in your water bottle are going to be oral bacteria, like pseudomonas and things like that. So practical guidance. Um, I always, I try to buy water bottles that have a simple lip, like one that doesn't have a lot yeah. of ridges. And the, if, the wide mouth is really yes. good to wash. Yeah. Right. Definitely wash with soap and water in between uses, even if it's just 
water that's in the bottle, as we've discussed. And I have seen, I don't know how you feel about this. I know some people will um, do a, a very diluted uh, bleach solution, like once a week or once a month. And I'm trying to look up the, I think it's one tablespoon of bleach per quart of water. And of course, please make sure that if you do that, you know, to really thoroughly make sure right. it's Make rinsed. sure it's thoroughly <laughs> rinsed. You can also use like um, cleaning vinegar too, if you wanted to. And that, and bleach in the vinegar can be really useful if you are seeing like visible mildew growing in certain places and that will kind of help reduce that and and sometimes again there's like a little musty smell if mildew gets in some of those bottles so that can help with the smell as well andrea this next topic we are divided the question is how often should we be washing our faces and do we really need to be washing our faces every day so there's a lot of misconceptions there are some people that have been led to believe that you have to wash your face two times a day that you can't wash your face in the shower and so on and so forth. So like general rule of thumb, dermatologists in particularly recommend that you wash your face at least once a day. If you have certain conditions, like maybe you wear makeup or you have oily skin or you work outdoors or in areas where there might be pollution, you might want to wash in the morning and in the evening. You can wash your face in the shower as long as the water's not too hot. The concern is that because the hot water can open the pores up, you don't want to be causing excess irritation. But as long as the water in the shower is not too hot, you can definitely do double duty and wash your body and your hair and your face in the shower. You ideally don't want to use like bar soap though. You want to use something that's designed for your face because the facial skin is a little bit um, different than like the skin on your hands, which is a little bit tougher. I will say that I don't ever um, wash my face. Um, (laughs) I let, I let the shampoo filled water from washing my hair run down my face when I shower. And, and that's what I call washing my face. Well, Andrea, if we all looked like you, you know, we would, <laughs> we would all do that. But no, so I, I do, sorry, were you going to finish? I was going to, well, I was going to say it underscores, like there's a lot of diversity, right? Like genetics yeah. can play a big role in like your skin quality. Like I am very lucky and mm-hmm. fortunate that I don't have oily skin and I don't have skin issues and I don't have acne. And that, allows me to be very negligent about my facial hygiene. Hashtag blessed. But no, so I I do wear makeup. Um, I sweat a lot. You know, there are certain reasons. I, I also just like washing my face. It makes me, I like the, the feeling of a clean face. And I- See, um, I don't. It I'm makes me so feel dry, funny. like a snail oh, no. left out in the sun. You well, know? funny you say snail, because after I really do a thorough scrub of my face, I put on my snail mute. Okay, I promise you, you hear it here, I will do it. We have to do an episode on snail mucin. I'm convinced that the snails hold the secret to, you know, to good They got a lot of mucus. They got a lot of mucus. mucus. But anyway, so I am someone, I I don't disagree with you. I I don't think what I'm doing is necessary, but because, you know, I I do have a lot of, I have stuff on my face. I need to wash it. And I am a fan of the double cleanse. I usually start out with an oil-based and then I'll go in with with a regular old soapy cleanser. It seems um, so. very time consuming. <laughs> but I enjoy it. Yeah. See, I'm the opposite. I, that sounds awful to me. So I oh, don't man. do it. But medically, um, the best time of day, if you're only doing once per day, is in the evening. That's going to wash off anything that you accumulated on your face, including makeup or dirt or oil. Um, it's also going to wash off any of those um, skin particles that might 
get in your bed and and be some food for those dust mites. And again, if you have an oily complexion, you might want to wash in the morning as well. And then also if you do put on products for bed, like like your mucin, you might want to wash those off in the morning. So that might be a good reason to wash in the morning as well. And you want to use a facial cleanser. And something else that I think, because I see this all over like the the bristle brushes that people are like, you don't want to use that for your skin because that's really abrasive. And what actually can happen is your facial skin starts getting used to like that damage and it starts to, you know, essentially deteriorate the quality and and your skin will actually start to produce more oil to compensate for like the the micro trauma from these these scrubbers that are, you know, some people use. So you just want to be gentle with the face. And if you do use like a cloth, use like a muslin cloth. Yeah, like a muslin or like a microfiber. You don't want to use like anything abrasive, like a bristle brush or a scrubber and things like that. And you can wash your face too often too, right? Like you don't want to wash so that like it's cracked and peeling and irritated too. And, and of course, you know, this, this rule of thumb once per day is kind of your catch all, but again, everybody's genetics and skin condition is going to vary. Well, and also where you live, climate, time of year, like in the summer, I'm washing a whole lot more than I am in the winter when my skin is much more likely to be, you know, dry. So, so many factors. All right. This next one, Andrea, we've talked about a bunch. We've done posts on this. I think we could pretty quickly run through this. In a nutshell, do not spend more money on soap that is labeled as antibacterial. All soap is antibacterial. This is a ridiculous marketing ploy. You do not need antibacterial soap. Andrea. (laughs) So the biggest reason, so there are chemicals that are added like triclosan and things like that, that will kill bacteria. But the problem is, is that you have a lot of good bacteria on your hands and having those on your hands actually takes up the acreage, uh, the real estate that potentially harmful pathogenic bacteria could reside on, things like staphylococcus bacteria and so on. So if you use antibacterial soap, you may actually kill some of those bacteria you you want to stay on your skin, and now you're making room for things to potentially colonize. You're also contributing to the evolution of uh, bacteria that are going to be resistant to chemicals that can kill them, and, and obviously that's not a great thing. We don't want to push evolution of drug-resistant bacteria. So, you know, all you really need is a detergent, and soaps are detergents, meaning they disrupt that that fatty layer. And so when you're using your soap um, and your water, you're going to disrupt those bacteria that are adhering, then they will just get easily rinsed off with water. And it doesn't matter the temperature of the water. It can be warm water if you like that. It can be cold water if you like that. Um, the biggest thing is the mechanical motion and the detergent in the, in the shape of soap. I mentioned something at the top of the episode that I just want to finish on, which is that certain things are sort of holdovers from the past. And so the, the example that came to my mind was that a lot of people wash their meat, in particular poultry is what I see people wash washing before they cook it. And this is a holdover from the past when people were often slaughtering and preparing their own food. But now there are so many regulations in place and modern food safety system, um, the, excuse me, the modern food safety system basically does not require it. And so you should, you do not need to wash your chicken or other meat before cooking. Certainly you should never use soap. Um, that no. should not be a thing, but also just think about it. I mean, if you're bringing your chicken, let's say into your sink and you're touching the the faucet. I mean, there are so many more opportunities to be spreading potentially harmful pathogens on the meat before they're cooked. Yeah. 
And that goes to a lot of the like holdovers with like cooking implements, like cutting boards and, you know, wooden plates and you were supposed to bury them and you handled your meat in one. And I'm talking about people who are keeping kosher and, you know, orthodox populations. You had a dairy kitchen and you had a meat kitchen because, again, we didn't have proper sanitization processes. We can do that now. So you want to sanitize non-porous surfaces. You want to sanitize wood surfaces. You can use um, chlorine bleach. So one tablespoon of chlorine bleach per gallon of water. Um, You can let that sit. So that would be on on cutting boards, like flat surfaces. Of course, anything that's non-porous, like dishes and things like that, you can use, um, you know, traditional dishwasher, hot soapy water, same sort of things that you're going to be washing, you know, other other things like knives and forks and cutlery and so on. And, and just be mindful of cross-contamination. So I know like if I'm chopping veggies, I'm not going to use the same cutting board to then chop meat and then go back to cutting something else that, you know, I'm going to throw especially, in my salad. Right. Especially if those veggies are going to stay raw, right? Exactly. If you're if you're cutting things that are going to stay raw, you don't want to cross-contaminate that with raw meat that is designed to be cooked. So what I try to do is I do my, my veggie prep first if I'm using the same cutting board and then I do... Any meat or raw, you know, raw things that are um, are going to be cooked with right. the with with the second, you know, or use okay. a different knife or use a different cutting board. Exactly. And things like that. Yeah. Well, and I'm sorry. Just last thing. So yeah, to your point, yeah, if I'm making like chicken soup or something, I'll cut it all on the same cutting board because it's, right. it's all because it's all going to get boiled and exactly. Exactly. Um, what the heck was I going to say? I don't remember. It couldn't have been that important. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. We really did. Yeah. I'm feeling we really good did. about this. This was fun. And of course, got to throw a little bit of data in there. So thanks for tuning in today. We hoped you learned a thing or two. And if you want to support our efforts and help us grow the impact and the reach of unbiased science, we welcome your contributions. We have a donation page on our website, a Venmo account, and a coffee page. Every dollar helps. And for season four, we just launched some really snarky, fun merch, shirts, and mouse pads, and we have posters. And so check that out at www.unbiasedscipod.com. And then you can also sign up for our newsletter subscription on Substack. That's the unbiasedscipod.substack.com. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube because we're putting videos up there now. So that's at YouTube at UnbiasedSciPod. And of course, follow us on our social channels, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, threads at UnbiasedSciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah, uh, I am a scientist. Yeah, uh, I am a scientist.